Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. I'm Guy Benson. This is the Guy Benson Show, broadcasting Live from Austin, Texas. Glad to have you all here with me every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And around the clock on demand on the podcast, GuyBensonShow.com is our website here. Many ways to listen live, including across our great affiliates all over the country. You can listen to Fox Nation through that streaming application. You can listen to the live stream. You can listen through Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. All sorts of options between 3 and 6 Eastern. And if you miss any of it, there's that podcast. No charge to you, including Bonus Benson on the weekends. On today's episode of the show, here's who we've got. Joe Concha is going to be here talking about the fallout from the Cuomo news yesterday. The media coverage, including particularly in primetime on a certain show on CNN. Joe will be here to break that down. Charles Cook will also join me in the next hour. There is a flagrantly unconstitutional move that has been made by the Biden administration. And not only are we saying it's unconstitutional, the Supreme Court has said so, and so has Joe Biden. Biden admitting that what he's doing is illegal, but he's doing it anyway. Which... Seems bad, right? I'm not a constitutional scholar. I'm not an expert on impeachment. I feel like if you are knowingly violating your oath of office by telling people that you're going to ignore the Constitution and the Supreme Court, at least for a period of time, strikes me as a pretty significant problem. Charles Cook has written about this. He will be here with all of those details. Plus, she has done it, my friend Kelly Maher had a challenge called Homegrown Year. She was going to live off of her farm, and only her farm, plus some hunting and fishing and a little bit of narrowly tailored bartering for an entire year. All of her food for an entire year had to come from her farm or through those sort of natural sources. And she has accomplished this. I'm amazed. Very proud of her. She will join us with the details, some of the highs and lows. What was her first meal when she was finally done and the restrictions were lifted? All self-imposed. That's an incredible story. We'll get to her in our final hour. Fox News alert as we begin the show here today. The case count in the United States of coronavirus. This is the official tally, cumulatively, 35.3 million with the real number being much higher. The death toll is now 614,104 here in the United States. We know that the current wave, driven by the Delta variant, which is the dominant variant in the country, the overwhelming numbers of hospitalizations and deaths are among the unvaccinated. 
There are breakthrough cases among the vaccinated, like the one that I've had. And we've talked about that here on the show. But they are overwhelmingly mild in terms of these symptoms, if you have any symptoms at all. They are shorter in duration than unvaccinated COVID. And there's new data and a big study coming out showing that also people like me who have these breakthrough cases are less transmissible, less contagious than people who are unvaccinated who have COVID without that protection of the vaccines. So those are some big differences. I just want to quickly get to the Dow, which is down 287 points right now, and it's trading just south of 35,000. The closing bell is 49 minutes away, so we'll keep an eye on the markets. I almost forgot to mention the Dow, almost slipped my mind, down 285, 34,830 right now, before I launched into my next point. And here's the point that I want to make about COVID, and then we've got a soundbite for you from Governor DeSantis from Florida that I want to play, firing back at President Biden. When we look at what's happening, we look at the stats, we look at what we know and the data, more than 70% of U.S. adults are now at least partially vaccinated against this disease. And we have really good vaccines, safe and effective in this country. The Sinovac, the Chinese vaccine that's being sent all over the world, much, much less effective. In fact, there's a story today about how a bunch of countries in Southeast Asia are no longer really counting it as an effective vaccine. Like they're using it as a follow-up vaccine, or you need to get another vaccine as a booster. The government of Singapore now, that government's saying we don't really count people with the Chinese vaccine. We don't count them as fully vaccinated. That's not the case with our vaccines here, which is a cause for great national pride, a huge achievement from Operation Warp Speed, pioneered and spearheaded, controversially, you might remember, under the Trump administration. So more than 7 out of 10 U.S. adults have gotten at least one of the shots and therefore have some significant protection against COVID and severe COVID and other bad outcomes like hospitalization and death. And yet, the way that public health officials have been talking, the way that the media has been reporting this stuff, the way certain fears have been hyped, the American people have been grossly misled about the state of play right now. I am not downplaying the transmissibility of Delta. I'm not saying that the Delta wave doesn't matter and isn't having very serious consequences in hospitals for people who aren't vaccinated. 99% of the people who are struggling in hospitals with COVID now are unvaccinated people. 99 plus percent are of those who are dying, new deaths from COVID are unvaccinated people. That's all real. But in the scheme of our national trajectory, we are in a far better place now than we were during the teeth of the pandemic because of the vaccines and because of natural immunity, which is why hospitalizations from cases have been completely decoupled among the vaccinated and beyond, and why deaths from COVID have been almost completely decoupled from cases. 
because we were pretty darn good at getting our most vulnerable populations overwhelmingly vaccinated. Which is why it's extremely frustrating to see a new poll that was reported by Axios. This is a Harris Harvard poll. They asked the American people, do you believe the worst of COVID-19 is behind us or ahead of us? Like, have we gone past the worst of it, or is the worst of it still to come? And now, for the first time in many months, a majority of respondents say that the worst of COVID still lies ahead. 54% of Americans in this survey say the worst of COVID is ahead. 46% say the worst of it is behind us. And this is a damning indictment of our media and our public health establishment because they have been flogging this Delta variant issue with so much hysteria. You have to be able to treat people like adults and communicate clearly and honestly. A clear way of communication would be talking about the importance of getting vaccinated, the risks associated with not being vaccinated, while also emphasizing the immense progress that we've made because of the vaccines and other factors. Obviously, we don't know what the future holds. You never know, right? And I don't blame people for being a little bit anxious about what might come around the next corner. I saw a little bit of a freak out yesterday on Twitter about something called Delta Plus, a Delta Plus variant, I believe, in Korea. What could that mean? And I saw a doctor that we've quoted here before, Dr. Ashish Jha respond to this saying, meh, I'm quoting from him, meh, it's been circulating in India for a while, doesn't seem to be any more of a problem than Delta Classic, right, Delta Plus. Like, just take a breath. We've heard from the experts over and over again saying the vaccines not only work and are safe and effective, if the virus mutates and there are new variants that are more resistant, they can update in, co- in short order, quickly, safely, They can update and tweak the existing vaccines. It's not starting from ground zero again. The fact that we have 70% of the country, the adult population, at least partially vaccinated, by definition means that the worst of this is behind us based on all of the available evidence. Based on everything that we know, the worst is behind us. When this, when this delta wave is finally over, I mean, just look at the U.K. and their trajectory. They had a big delta wave. Their caseload now is crashing down, which is great. It's plummeted. And their deaths didn't even come close to where they were in previous waves because of vaccination and natural immunity. And they have similar levels that we have. Right? So we're just a few weeks behind them. For a majority of the American people... To say right now, in August of 2021, that the worst of this pandemic and coronavirus is still ahead, not behind us, speaks directly to the fear-mongering, hysteria, lack of context that we are getting from the media, which may have a vested interest in the fear, the fear porn, because they want clicks. They had a lot of clicks and excitement about Donald Trump. He's gone. They need something. They're addicted to something to get those eyeballs and get those sweet, sweet revenue generating you know uh, clicks and content and so they're going with this and the public health officials who are responsible 
with being sensible and telling us the truth are doing such a terrible job over and over again. And we talk about it here, just mistake after mistake from the CDC. We quoted yesterday the NIH director who went on national television and said, if you're a vaccinated parent living at home with unvaccinated young children, you should wear a mask in your house. He said it. And then he had to back off hours later. He actually reversed his own preposterous statement. Dr. Fauci had to go out and correct and clean up the mess. How do these mistakes keep getting made? And then people freak out, oh my God, they're asking parents to mask up at home? What's going to happen to my children? And we know still, even with Delta, that children are overwhelmingly unaffected by COVID in any serious way, thank God. So all this progress has been made. The vaccines are increasingly prevalent. The decoupling of cases from hospitalizations and deaths are a real thing. We're seeing a preview of our own case arc with the Delta wave in the UK, which has been very encouraging. The list goes on and on. But because the people in charge are either incompetent or obsessed with control and like the climate of fear, and of course the media in many cases goes along with it, You have a majority of the population saying that the worst is yet to come on COVID, even though that is simply not justifiable based on anything when it comes to the evidence. So that panic porn seems to be working. And as someone who has tried to take this seriously from day one, be transparent, have doctors on constantly talking about real risks, overblown risks, under-reported risks, and so on. And I've been very transparent this week about my breakthrough case that I was diagnosed with on Friday. We try to put it all out there for you here. I wish more people listened to this show because the numbers would look different. It is just not supportable by evidence to say that the worst is still to come. It's not. And I hope that we will see the UK trajectory. It will show up here in a matter of just a few weeks at this point. The numbers will come down, and maybe this trend in the public polling will reverse when people will say, okay, we got really over-agitated there for a second. And then they have to ask themselves, why? What was being fed to us that made us misunderstand the moment so profoundly? And I think we know primarily who those culprits are. So my message has been the same. I encourage strongly vaccination. I encourage taking things seriously. The Delta wave is serious, but let's not lose our heads, lose our minds, lose sight of evidence. Because then people are just running around like chickens with their heads cut off and it achieves absolutely nothing. And in that climate of fear... And panic and hysteria, you can have really stupid decisions being made as a matter of public policy for the way that society runs and the way that our children's lives are affected in schools and elsewhere. I feel like I say this a lot. Take a breath, America. We're going to take a break in addition to a breath here on The Guy Benson Show. A lot to get to. Joe Concha, Charles Cook, Kelly Maher, all ahead on The Guy Benson Show. Don't go anywhere. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. 
Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If some governors aren't willing to do the right thing to beat this pandemic, then they should allow businesses and universities who want to do the right thing to be able to do it. I say to these governors, please help. But if you aren't going to help, at least get out of the way of the people who are trying to do the right thing. President Biden, earlier this week at the White House, singling out in particular Florida and Texas, as we're back here on The Guy Benson Show, and the governor of Florida responding earlier today with this soundbite, Cut 24. Uh, Joe Biden has taken to himself to try to single out Florida um, over COVID. Uh, This is a guy who ran for president saying he was going to, quote, shut down the virus. And what has he done? He's imported more virus from around the world by having a wide open southern border. Why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you. Thank you. So DeSantis obviously ticked off because they've been trying to straddle a really difficult fence in Florida. And overall, I think they've done a really good job. They're getting hit right now, as are many places. They're getting hit hard among unvaccinated people. Let's hope that they're cresting in this wave right now and the cases will come back down and the hospitalizations along with it among the unvaccinated. But you might say, oh, well, he's talking about the border. Is that a non sequitur? No. So our colleague here at Fox, Bill Malusian, tweeted this just a little while ago. The city of McAllen, Texas, says the federal government has released over 7,000 COVID-positive migrants into their city since February, including over 1,500 new infected migrants in just the last week alone. A local state of disaster in McAllen has been declared. All right, so it's a neat little trick for Joe Biden and his horrible failing border crisis, he and the vice president presiding over this, where you've got thousands of known COVID-positive illegal immigrants pouring into the country and then being released into Texas communities, and then Biden turns around and blames Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas is taking shots at Ron DeSantis, who simply points out, hey, maybe, obviously, illegal immigrants are not the overwhelming source of this problem, but it's hard to take lectures from Joe Biden when this... Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is what 
the federal policies inflicting on communities in Texas, for him to then tisk tisk and you know wag his finger at certain governors who aren't doing it supposedly the right way. Score one for DeSantis there on the Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Guy Benson Show. We're back. Thanks for being here. I'm Guy Benson. As you know, I've been hanging out here in Austin, Texas for longer than expected because of my COVID-19 positive tests, so I've been isolating. Today, and I've been talking to several doctors, and especially Dr. Nicole Sapphire on a regular basis, she's like, get outside as much as you can. Breathe in as much fresh air as you can. Obviously, you avoid people and just, you know, be outside. We've known this about COVID for a long time. She's just reminding me. So I went for a walk and then a run today at the state capitol, which is right down the street from where I'm staying. And I looked at the beautiful rotunda, and I said, you know, you know who's not operating in this building right now? Texas Democrats in the House, right? These runaway fleabagger Democrats, they're in D.C., where I call home. So they are not doing their jobs here in Austin, Texas, where they're supposed to be doing their jobs. And we've covered this. They had their little super spreader event and their maskless flight, which is extreme privilege, on their chartered flights, chartered jets, from mega donors and other donations, and they've been, you know, living this uh, this heroic lifestyle, according to them, in Washington D.C. I love this story for a number of reasons. I mean, they keep stepping on the rake over and over again. I mean, it's just like horrifically bad optics, all supposedly to defend democracy against a law, the big components of which are quite popular among the American people, which is why they have no choice but to yell about democracy and Jim Crow and all this other stuff as a distraction. So with each new round of mess, each new foible, right, the chartered jets, the beer, the super spreader, their self-righteous, self-aggrandizing, self-congratulatory social media posts, we've just shared it all with you because it makes them look awful and it's also hilarious which is why I have to bring you another story that I absolutely love in this saga. There are two House Democrats from Texas who are not only not here in Austin, Texas, doing their job, they are not any longer with their colleagues fighting for democracy or whatever in Washington, D.C. No, they have gone to Portugal on vacation (laughs) for democracy. For democracy. I mean, these heroes have headed across the Atlantic Ocean for a European vacation. That is how committed they are to stopping Jim Crow or whatever in Texas. So I hope they enjoy that time over in Portugal. They are true heroes and defenders of democracy. And I hope they have some good Portuguese wine while they're over there. I hear the food's amazing. And when they get back to the U.S., it would be fabulous if they land in Texas, if maybe some of the Texas Rangers were just waiting for them, that baggage claim, so they could drag their asses to the Capitol to actually do their jobs and vote. Portuguese vacation. Amazing. 
amazing. Joining me now is Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, political columnist at The Hill. Joe, that story just keeps getting better. I don't know how these Texas Democrats could be less effective in their optics, but uh, maybe maybe they can all get together and sing We Shall Overcome in Portugal. Are they washing the bra and panties in the sink in Portugal, you think, still? Or how's that I don't work? know. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm right, like the photos from their hotel rooms. <laughs> Man, I mean, where does the money come from? You don't make a lot of money. These aren't even, you know, Congress people, right? They're... They're more just uh, state legislators, right? So what, I mean, they they might have like regular jobs and spouses or whatever. I have no idea, but like, I feel if you are with some of your colleagues and you have skipped town to avoid voting and to deny a quorum, and some of these people missed weddings. One woman missed her own wedding, which I think is crazy. Imagine missing your own wedding. For a lie, and the fundamental lie is that the Texas law is Jim Crow and this huge assault on democracy, that's a lie. Imagine being so committed to the lie and so self-righteous that you miss your own wedding, you miss the funeral of a loved one, and they're out there saying, "This is what these are the sacrifices we must make. But I guess the sacrifice of skipping your European vacation was just a, a bit much to ask for some of these Texas wow. Democrats. Somebody missed a funeral over this? I mean, for, for what? So... Who needs to vote guy at 4 a.m. through a drive-thru? I mean, I vote in every election. I, I drive maybe a mile from my house. There's a little line, I guess. It's not a big deal. And I cast my vote. It's never a problem. If I do have to wait in line for an hour like I did when I lived in Hoboken, New Jersey, then so be it. But I, I just don't get how this is morphed from you have all this early voting, you have all these opportunities, and because you can't go through a drive-thru in the middle of the night like you're at a, a McDonald's, that's suddenly a, an attack on Jim Crow. And, and, and by the way... Who drinks Miller Lite as an adult? I still can't get over this. That's a college beer. What are you people doing? I mean, it's, look, some people enjoy the Coors, the Millers, the Bud Light uh, family of lighter beers. I think that if you're Mm. trying to frame yourself as, like, you know, the new Selma marchers, maybe private jets and not even Texas beer, and then Portuguese vacations, um, not, not up there on the best things in terms of conveying your supposed serious message. In any case, I had to mention it just because I was out there jogging around the Capitol earlier and I was thinking about this story and chuckling, and I wanted to make sure I got your reaction, Joe. In the meantime, the big news here yesterday, Cuomo Central, really horrible day for him. Uh, Joe Biden finally got off the sidelines calling on him to resign. So is everyone. I saw a report just a moment ago from the Associated Press. They've sort of called around and done a whip count, and now it looks like a majority of the New York House is in favor of impeachment for Governor Cuomo. So, you know, we'll see where this thing's going. Um, What is your overall take on the coverage of what happened yesterday? I know the New York Times featured it very prominently today. I think that the media has actually been pretty tough on Cuomo for this, and it almost feels like a make make good or like a do-over from all of their adulation and worship including, I think, not really treating nearly seriously enough the nursing home scandal and all of that side of it because they can't quite bring themselves to admit how disastrously wrong they were on Cuomo when it comes to COVID and related issues, but they recognize that he's a sleaze at this point, and this, being a serious story, seems like what they've all decided collectively, okay, this is the thing where we can get him. 
In terms of the coverage, to answer your first question, it's kind of like the old John McClain, Bruce Willis line from Die Hard, right? Welcome to the party, pal. I mean, this is, you're right. It's, it's like a make good almost. Like, okay, we'll be tough now because Cuomo is now expendable. In 2020, when he was the anti-Trump in terms of COVID, well, then he was their MVP, most valuable player. He wins an Emmy. He gets $5 million for a book in advance and then releases the book in the middle of a pandemic, which was, you know, absolutely a great look. Uh, I, I look at the Chris Cuomo situation within this as far as we're talking about media coverage. And the fact that this guy went on his 9 p.m. show, it's the highest rated show on CNN, which is kind of like being, you know, the, the skinniest kid at fat camp. But still, it's their highest rated show. And he could go for 60 minutes and not talk about what was easily the most dominant news story of the day, possibly of the week and the month, and get away with it. Executives actually allow him to do this. And I just can't believe he still has a job, guy, because I look well, at he, it in aggregate. He, opened, yeah, he opened his show last night. The number one story in the country is his brother and a damning report about sexual harassment. And we that know from, from the report that Chris <laughs> Cuomo had helped with the PR and the damage control and was, like, drafting statements and all this stuff. And primetime CNN last night, a full hour with Chris Cuomo, not a mention. Instead, he opened guns blazing at Ron DeSantis. Which he has many times in the past, right? Like, see, my, my brother, he's the good governor. That's the bad governor over there. And he said, we're going to concentrate on COVID. Yeah, let's talk about COVID and Chris Cuomo, shall we? This is a guy who got testing before anybody else could in New York, courtesy of his brother. He then fakes his own quarantine. Who does that? And actually, a police report is filed against him by some 60-something-year-old biker who saw him out 30 minutes away from his home and said, hey, you were just on TV last night saying you still felt sick. What are you doing out? And he gets into a verbal confrontation with him, and a police report is filed against him. So and he lied that happens. And then he lied about it. Then he comes out of his basement saying, oh, I've been dreaming of this moment for weeks. No, you haven't. You've done it already. What are you talking about? And then no one really talks about this. There's audio of him, and I think it was Tucker Carlson who actually obtained this, of him coaching Michael Cohen, the president's former fixer, president as in Trump, and saying, okay, here's the question you're going to get, but here's how you should answer. Any network executive from 10 or 20 years ago, worth their grain of salt, or whatever the stupid saying is, would have fired him on the spot for any of those things. And then he's drafting statements on how to push back against sexual harassment. This pious guy who always told us to believe all women and went after Brett Kavanaugh probably more than anybody in media, and now he's doing this on behalf of his brother. How does he have a job, guy? I don't. I get it, I guess, but I don't get it still. So here's the other thing about the Cuomo connection and the brothers, and we've mentioned this before, and, I mean, it's just even more flagrant and galling yesterday, right? So this is the number one story in the country. It's like it doesn't exist in the 9 p.m. hour, which is Cuomo's hour, and by the way, this is fun. In Cut 10, they do this handoff every day where it's Cuomo to Don yeah. Lemon, and they, they yuck it up, and they have their things, and they've got their little teasing back and forth, and it's a bunch often very liberal commentary. They say that these are news anchors, but, I mean, come on. And so last night, a little awkward here. Here's how it sounded in Cut 10. I'm going to make my witness, as you say, and you make know your what? Witness. I love you, brother. I love you, D. Lemon. All right. This is Don Lemon tonight. The calls are getting louder and louder. This is what I'm talking about. Top Democrats from New York to the White House calling on Governor Andrew Cuomo to resign. Yeah, so the, the, yeah, the coverage now resumes after the blackout hour because you've got a guy whose last name is Cuomo not wanting to cover the Cuomo story. And the way that they're talking about it is 
through ethics. They're saying it's, it just wouldn't be ethical. It wouldn't be fair to have a brother cover this scandal of his other brother, which would be a completely defensible argument, at least a partially defensible argument, uh, about a huge story in the country, if they had not, not only allowed, but encouraged, apparently, the Cuomo brothers to do their, their song and dance happy hour together repeatedly during coronavirus, when it was beneficial to ratings, it made Cuomo look relatable and human, and it was like a breath of fresh air compared to Donald Trump, and isn't this wonderful? And so when it was all beneficial for everyone involved, including Democrats, right, politically beneficial, then the, 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 the show of the brothers Cuomo was very much permitted to go on at CNN. As soon as the news turned negative for the older brother, then the younger brother's like, oh, ethically, I can't. You know, you, you can't expect me to. I mean, it's, it is such an insulting uh, about face, and it's so obvious what happened here. And it seems really pretty humiliating for maybe not either of the Cuomos, because they seem pretty shameless, but the people calling the shots over at that network. Keeping up with the Cuomos, they called it, right? It was like keeping up with the Kardashians, that, that, that comedy routine that you were talking about. And look, it's not like Chris Cuomo is completely indispensable because, well, you know, his ratings are so great. He could barely draw 800,000 viewers a night. He gets tripled sometimes in his time slot. Think about that. And then I looked, and, and you look at CNN primetime in general, because when you have Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo on for three of those four hours, uh, this is the result that you get. CNN is now being beaten by the Hallmark Channel, TLC, and you tell me, all right, I'm going to throw out these four letters for this network. You tell me if you've ever heard of it before. INSP. Have you? I have it. I cover media. Wait, what is that? Yeah, exactly. INSP is beating CNN in primetime in viewers. So I had to look it up. I'm like, I've never heard of this network before. They show old Westerns and old Western series or movies. So movies that were out 60 years ago. Uh, that people have seen a billion times, like your average like John Wayne John movie, Wayne? is beating, yeah, like John Wayne, for example, right? Like if you're talking about like westerns, like that, those sort of those those sort of films. That's what this INSP plays, and that's great if they have an audience for it. So good for them, I guess. But CNN is losing to them. So if you're losing to them in this news cycle, which at last check, people thought the Biden administration would be uh, pretty boring. It's not. There there are major news items going on right now, particularly violence, uh, major violence in in cities across the country, which used to be CNN's bread and butter, you know, back during the Bernard Shaw days anyway, you know, 20 years ago. uh, And obviously inflation and the border crisis. And you go right down the list. There's plenty of news items that CNN should be thriving on. And instead, they're losing to INSP, which your whole audience is probably saying right now, I've never heard of them either. Wow. Uh, now, what do you make? Last yeah. question briefly, Joe. Uh, this story huh? of Barack Obama's big birthday bash with hundreds of people who are going to show up, I guess, in Martha's Vineyard and all this stuff. And they say, well, we have we have a covid consultant, so it's fine. I guess it's now been either canceled or hugely scaled back. I don't really have a problem with him having a big birthday party for himself. If it's going to be largely outdoors with a bunch of vaccinated people, I don't really care about that. I think we should be encouraging the resumption of normalcy. It just becomes a problem when you have the establishment, the Democratic establishment in particular, saying we are in the teeth of a completely out of control, super dangerous public health crisis. People need to be masking indoors, even if they're vaccinated, all this stuff. There's a contradiction there, which I guess became too much of a headache. And the Obamas decided at the last minute to either pull the plug or reduce the footprint of this party. Quickly, your thoughts. Yeah, footprint. 
think about the global footprint. It would have been all private jets flying there because Martha's Vineyard ain't easy to get to unless you fly. Uh, yeah, they could have just made a statement said we this is to show you that we are pro vaccine and it works. And if we're all outdoors, then this is what we should be doing as Americans. But instead, uh, they they. I, I'm not surprised at all. They bowed to the squad wing, AOC wing of, of the party and said, you know, we're going to be woke and make sure that we're being responsible. Yeah, you're right. They just said, screw you. We're outdoors and well, everybody's vaccinated. So why is that for the CDC, right? It's tough for the CDC and some of these other public health experts. If you have the NIH director saying parents need to wear masks at home with their children, although they walked it yeah. back so embarrassingly a few hours later. And then you've got the Obamas having this huge party. I mean, right? It, the messaging gets even more muddled than it already is, which is why one of the fueling factors behind the fact that I was talking at the top of the show, a poll shows that more than half of Americans say the worst of the pandemic is ahead of us, which is nuts. But I can't really blame a lot of folks for being confused because it is a mess what they're being fed by the press, and a lot of public health officials as well. Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, columnist at the Hill. We're up on a break, Joe. Always appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Great. (laughs) Guy, have a good one, man. Thanks so much, and feel better. Thank you. I, I feel fine, but, you know, it is what it is. Joe, appreciate it, and we'll be right back. Guy Benson will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. We're back here on the Guy Benson Show talking about that Chris Cuomo hour last night on CNN leading with the attacks on Ron DeSantis from Florida. It was actually interesting watching progressives on Twitter yesterday with the Cuomo stuff breaking, especially some of these hardcore, never-Trump former conservatives. And I've been very critical of Trump. I did not vote for Trump. But when your entire world is consumed with hating the guy and then trying to hang on to this fiction that you're, you know, kind of center-right or a Republican when all you do is attack Republicans constantly, that crowd was all over Ron DeSantis yesterday. Right, Cuomo is crashing and burning on yet another thing, and they all want to talk about Ron DeSantis. It is not subtle. Rich Lowry from National Review tweeted this. They not only elevated a dirtbag who made a disastrous policy mistake in responding to COVID into a national hero. It wasn't just the mistake. It was the cover-up and the lying, too. He goes, they insisted on trying to make Ron DeSantis into a villain and still do. They're still flogging it and the surge in florida they see as an opportunity ghoulishly to score political points but desantis is pretty good at defending himself and it's so transparent what they're doing for political reasons the guy benson show continues new hour coming up New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show. A new hour here on The Guy Benson Show, middle hour of three on this Wednesday. Glad to have you along. I'm Guy Benson. Our website, GuyBensonShow.com. 
Podcast is free every single day. Fox News alert. There we go. The Dow closes down 323 points, closing at 34,792 for the day. So I told you on Monday on this program that I had tested positive for COVID-19. I tested positive on Friday evening for COVID-19. And I'm fully vaccinated. I've been vaccinated for months. So I had one of those relatively rare breakthrough cases that we've been talking quite a lot about here on the show. And then I was experiencing it in my own life. And it was obviously frustrating, but ultimately an inconvenience. Right? I had the sniffles. I only got tested because I was about to attend an event. And I've already explained why I got tested. I don't test as an asymptomatic person. I had very, very minor symptoms, wanted to make sure that I didn't infect some other people at an event. And I'm glad that I took that precaution along with some masking when I had a sore throat and not even a sore throat, like a cough and a runny nose because I ended up not putting other people at risk. Now, sure enough, it was an extremely mild case of it because I'm fully vaccinated. There's data that I mentioned at the top of the show, new data today that seems to confirm or affirm, fortify the idea that vaccinated people who get breakthrough cases are less transmissible, at least for a shorter period of time, than unvaccinated people who have the disease. And it also, the data shows, it's more likely that these cases would be shorter, right? So your symptoms or your uh, contagiousness would be a shorter period of time if you have a breakthrough case versus having COVID-19 without being vaccinated. So all of which is to say, I'm very glad that I was vaccinated and that even though I got one of these breakthrough cases, it has not been an ordeal, right? It's been annoying to have to hang out in a hotel so much and not see people and and have my travel upended and all that stuff. Now, to me, a key part of this was I just wanted to test negative. I've been feeling fine, right? I've been going on runs. I've been feeling fine for days. Even on the day that I tested positive where I was probably most symptomatic, if you want to call it that, with a runny nose, I was blowing my nose a lot. I was coughing during commercial breaks and stuff. But I did an hour of TV, three hours of radio, and a run, then tested positive. So I've been isolating ever since. That was Friday. Then I tested positive Saturday. Then I tested positive Sunday. Then I tested positive Monday, twice. Although what was interesting was, in my second test... I guess it would have been Tuesday. So I tested once on Monday, then twice yesterday. And on my second test in the evening yesterday, the way these things work with the Abbott test from Abbott Labs, there are two lines, and you really want the second line not to show up. right? Because if the second line shows up red, then it's a positive test. And I've been seeing that red line over and over and over again. It was frustrating. Last night, that red line looked kind of faint and it took a little while for it to show up and I asked Dr. Sapphire is that significant or am I just dreaming she said no that very much could be significant it could mean that you're trending negative and could very well test negative tomorrow 
right? Because the viral load that's being picked up in your nostril and the swab, it is decreasing because you're, you're on the downswing of this thing. That was her theory based on, and she's the doctor, right? That was my theory in my head as a complete schlub, which is why I consulted a doctor about it. And almost like she's magic, I do have to bring you an update. In fact, I wonder if we can even call it a Fox News alert. Yeah, I mean, why not? We play the stinger. I tested negative. This afternoon, I tested negative. I kept waiting for that red line to show up, and it didn't. So I took a photo, and I sent it to her. I said, is this a negative? She said, oh, looks like a negative. So I'm going to call her after the show, just sort of consult with her about best practices and and what exactly a negative test means after this string of positives. Obviously, I'm happy and relieved. I've been feeling, right, my body has been feeling COVID negative for a couple days. But I've wanting to, you know, my whole goal here is to be responsible and careful, do the right thing without being overly freaked out about anything, right? It's balancing those interests, which really went to the heart of my opening monologue today with so much of the fear and the hysteria that's being spread, I think, deliberately by some people and unfortunately is breaking through to the American people in the form of some very overly pessimistic polling numbers about COVID and where we are, when in fact we're making great progress. In any case, I think in all likelihood this means, because I was going to be off tomorrow and Friday all along because there are some weekend weddings that we had to travel to upcoming. So I had those days off for a long time. We've got guest hosts still coming in. And yesterday I was thinking, okay, there's a few contingency plans here. The first one is if I keep testing positive Wednesday and again on Thursday, then what? Right? If I test negative, then I'll assess the situation, talk to the doctor, see if I can go further west and go out to these weddings for the weekend because i mean once i'm fully vaccinated and testing negative for a breakthrough case i've got like all the antibodies right i'm like covid superman which is the lamest sounding superhero i've ever heard of but i I would be happy to be that right so i feel like i'd be fine i just want to talk to doctors about that go off have a nice time for the weekend or at least mask up and get on a plane and then fly over to home in Washington, D.C. And so those were two options, right? Go on with my plans, go home, and if it was positive and then positive again, what? And I was seriously looking at potentially, potentially, Renting a car. Because that's a long drive, but I'm, with all due respect to the wonderful people of Texas, I'm ready to not be here anymore. (laughs) And especially if I can't even be enjoying the city of Austin and everything that Texas has to offer. Just, if I'm going to be holed up somewhere, I'd rather be home. So I, like, can I double mask, rent a car at the airport here or something, and then drive by myself across the country and go home. Now, it looks like that possibility has been eliminated with the negative test, I hope. I was not relishing that. I was not looking forward to that. However, 
the one silver lining, and producer Christine, I didn't even think about this because you and I were talking about the possibility of the drive. And you were joking that you were going to fly to Texas to drive with me. And I reminded you, no, you still have to produce the show. I mean, we're going to have guest hosts, but we still need a producer. You were still threatening to come here and drive with me. The one thing that occurred to me earlier before I tested negative today was, well, if I end up having to rent a car and I'm driving by myself through the country, I was just thinking about the map of the United States and the geography. And I was recalling a few weeks ago, we had the conversation about states that we have been to or not been to. And I was up to 48 states having now gone to Idaho and my remaining states were Arkansas and West Virginia, which just happened to be sort of as the crow flies between Texas and Washington, D.C. So I was thinking if I have to do this damn drive over two days because of this, I wonder if I can go like get a picnic or something and go and have a meal by myself away from people in each state and get to the big 5-0, every state in the country, in one fell swoop. Could that be the, the silver lining of this? However, it looks like that will no longer need to be the case, and that opportunity will float away in this case, because it looks like I'll be okay to fly. But it was at least intriguing. Right? That was going to be the one positive spin I was going to put on this. That would have been unbelievable. And I would have been there. It's the 50th state. You would not have actually flown here, would you? Mm, maybe. Now, I, I feel like sure this, is the my... same, this is the same thing as you inviting yourself to my barbecue bash a few months ago. And then I then agreed and did invite you. And then you backed out. And I feel like if you're like, I'm going to come, I'm going to come and I'm going to fly to Texas one way and then drive to D.C. with you and I'll get back home and it'll be this fun road trip for best friends. And then I would say, OK, fine, let's do it. Come on down. Let's look at flights. You'd be like, oh, wait, no, what? No, 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 I can't do that. Plus, I'd be in a car with you. You'd still possibly be testing positive. I feel like you would back out of that so fast. I wouldn't say back out, but the, the COVID aspect might put a damper on, on the, the road trip. I'm not sure. My husband, Bobby, I'm going to throw it on him now, uh, oh, yeah. would have it's been happy with that. This is your idea. The whole thing is your idea is the point. And incidentally, some people are saying, you know, why don't you just stay? Like, I know it's not the end of the world having to be in a hotel day after day. Totally agree. I'm able to do the show and all that. I'm also running out of clothes. Right. Like at a certain point, I packed for a I packed for a weekend and I may have slightly overpacked for the weekend, but not by much. So I've been very carefully sort of like figuring out which clothes do I wear during the day. If I go for a run, I'm sort of reusing exercise stuff just so I'm not. And I mean, I, I suppose I could find a public laundromat somewhere, but I also don't want to be hanging around people inside, even if I'm double mass, I've just been trying to avoid that. So I'm running out of clean clothes. That's the other thing. That's why I was genuine. I was looking up car rentals actively yesterday. And I think, again, I'm knocking on what I think that the negative test that I got today should be, you know, all she wrote for the road trip option. But I'm not going to say that definitively until I talk to the doctor, which I'll do after the show today. 
So then it comes down to, do I fly home or do I fly out west? What's the trajectory of the illness? What does the negative test signify in terms of what makes sense for me to do next? So the point is, you, producer Christine, may have been saved by this little test that I took today because I was thinking about trying to call you out and call your bluff again and have you come to this road trip that you didn't actually want to do. Although you could have been there. Think about the the pure, unadulterated thrill of being with me for a socially distanced lunch in West Virginia, marking my 50th state. I can't imagine anything that you might want more in life, frankly. I, I, ha- I have to say the idea of the whole thing was fun to me. The idea of me driving on the open road, you in the passenger seat, uh, us calling into the show. We could have done the show from the road, technically. <laughs> from, from the car. I'm just doing monologues yeah. as I drive. Well, I would drive. You're doing, See? You're, no, you, no, 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 no. I would be the one driving. You'd be the one doing the little, like, blow your horn signal out the window at every single truck, which would drive me crazy. That's what would happen. It would, I would be. I would. Yeah, it would. It would be a lot. It, and here's the problem. Here's the other logistical problem with this. Even if you somehow decided you were going to do it and you wanted to join, so Max, our technical producer, he's not feeling well, so he's out. I've had my situation. I mean, it would be just Quiet Wyatt. That's it. We can't. We can't do that to Quiet Wyatt. It's too stressful, especially for the last two days before his long-awaited vacation. He's been at this show for two years now. He has not taken a vacation, but he's finally doing it. And I'm mentioning it, by the way, now because I'm off the next two days, long planned. He's going to Italy. So we can't be like, hey, you're going to have a great time in Italy next week. He's never been out of the country. I feel like Italy's probably a pretty exciting first spot. right? He's going to eat extremely well. It's going to be a very cool trip. I'm definitely very jealous. But I feel like it'd be wrong for us to say, you know, Wyatt, you're basically in charge of everything. The rest of us are gone. Good luck for two days, and then you can take your vacation. It's just, it's too much for Quiet Wyatt. So, look, I'm going to well, talk to Nicole Sapphire. Go ahead. I was going to say, just, uh, just wait, because when Quiet Wyatt is in Italy and Maxie might not be back in time, we don't know, uh, it could just be me doing everything on this show, just you and I. Oh my gosh. I'm imagining you running around mm. like the control mm-hmm. room, trying to do the board, trying to answer phones, trying to get guests. I'm demanding things get printed out. I need more water. Energetic, informed, fast paced. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. (laughs) So we went to break, I think, a little prematurely there in the last segment because... My signal dropped here in Texas just for a couple seconds, and they weren't sure, so they went to break. I think that the bosses were listening to our little talk about the guy and Christine road trip and came rushing into the studio like, pull the plug, send this thing to break, this cannot happen. That's my theory. 
<laughs> anyway, we are back here on the show. And, and by the way, and uh, Ariva Derci to Wyatt, who's heading off to his Italian vacation soon. Super jealous. Uh, very excited for him. And I'm mentioning that today because I'm off the next two days. I want to get back to politics and play a soundbite. This is from MSNBC. Randy Weingarten, one of the top union bosses, one of the people most responsible for so much harm inflicted on America's children last year, with so many schools closed needlessly in defiance of the science. So what's interesting to watch is a lot of unions, including some teachers' unions, are now coming out against vaccine mandates. Right, So you've got sort of the Democratic lefty coalition in favor of vaccine mandates overwhelmingly, but some of these unions, not so much. So there's some internecine warfare happening. So on MSNBC, Randy Weingarten was asked, if you guys were saying, oh, the schools couldn't open, you need all this stuff, you masks on children for safety, how can you, in teachers' unions, possibly oppose mandating vaccines for teachers? Because supposedly safety was your whole thing. And here is the beginning of her answer, Cut 18. In New York, schools were open virtually all of last year. And what NYSE had actually... Stop the tape. That is the first thing that she says. It's a completely fair question about vaccine mandates. And Weingarten goes to the host and says, well, let me just say two things. And her first point is, in New York, schools were open virtually all of last year. That is a lie. That is absolutely not true. Schools were not open overwhelmingly last year, virtually all of last year. She wasn't referring to virtual schools. She was talking about schools being open. That is just not true. New York parents everywhere were like, what on earth is she talking about? Her first talking point to justify the new incoherence is to lie about what happened last year. The gaslighting, very strong with Randy Weingarten, who clearly has no trouble lying with ease. It's the Guy Benson Show. Charles Cook, coming up next. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The Guy Benson Show. Halfway through the program and halfway through the week on The Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you here. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast every day. With me now, Charles C.W. Cook, senior writer at National Review. And Charles, good to have you back. Thanks for having me. So the last few times you've been on, it's been in relation to in regards to Florida. Ron DeSantis, Rebecca Jones misinformation, etc. We might get to your adoptive home state a bit later in the interview, but I want to begin with what you have been on the warpath over, and I'm right there with you. This eviction moratorium decree from the CDC that has been implemented with supposed penalties attached, like prison time, if you don't follow this decree, a decree that the president himself had said just days ago would be unconstitutional, and then it appears that they have gone forward with it anyway because some progressives got angry and did a camp out and yelled for the cameras. Give us the background of what led up to this moment. Just summarize for the audience who may not be familiar with this little controversy, and then perhaps explain from your perspective why it is so serious of an abuse. 
Last year, while President Trump was still in office, the Center for Disease Control, at President Trump's insistence, ordered a nationwide moratorium on evictions. In other words, if you're a landlord of any size, large company or sole trader, and you rent a property to someone, you cannot evict them wherever you are, any of the 50 states and territories. This was renewed under President Biden, and eventually the Supreme Court was asked to rule on its constitutionality. And the Supreme Court said this is illegal. There's no statutory authority for the Center for Disease Control to be engaging in an eviction moratorium. Now, that should be obvious to anyone who's read the Constitution. For a start, it's not (laughs) at all clear the federal government has this power per se, There's nothing in the Constitution that allows the federal government to superintend what is intrastate commerce. But leave that aside. The idea that the CDC of all institutions would have this power was always suspect, and so it proved to be. The Supreme Court said the CDC had exceeded its statutory authority, by which it meant that the agency was relying upon a law that didn't actually give it the power And if you read the law, you can see that the Supreme Court is correct. It has a specific list of items the CDC is allowed to address, and eviction is not among them. Uh, So we have a situation, and Justice Kavanaugh said this in his opinion, in which if the Biden administration wants to continue the eviction moratorium, subject to a a challenge, uh, it has to convince Congress to pass a new law, a specific law giving it that authority. That didn't happen. Um, so right, what we Democrats didn't have the votes, right? The, some of the progressives wanted it to happen. They had a debate. They didn't have the votes in a Democrat-controlled Congress. Correct. So Congress declined to act, which it's allowed to do. If Congress is not allowed to decline to act, there's no point in having one. Congress declining to act does not magically hand new powers to the executive branch. And Joe Biden knows this. And Joe Biden said this. This is the most extraordinary and egregious part of this guy. Usually, when presidents do this, which they do, they pretend that they think the laws that they are uh, promulgating are legal. Biden didn't. Gene Sperling at the White House two days ago said uh, that Biden had looked into this four times. He said he has double, triple, quadruple checked and found that he doesn't have the power to renew the moratorium. He also said... And I quote that Biden had asked the CDC to look at whether you could even do targeted eviction moratorium, and they were unable to find the legal authority. Biden stood up in front of the American people yesterday at a press conference and said that he knew the Supreme Court had ruled against it and that the bulk of the constitutional scholars he had spoken to and his own team told him this was illegal, but he was going to do it anyway because he thought he might be able to buy some time while it was litigated. I have seen presidents do extraordinary things. I have seen Barack Obama say, I'm not a king, I'm not an emperor, I can't do it, and then do DACA. I've seen President Trump ask Congress for funds for his border wall, not get them, and then say, I'm going to do it anyway. I have never seen a president stand up in front of the American people and say, I know this is flatly illegal, but I'm going to violate my oath of office. And really, the the most famous example in American history is Andrew Jackson, (laughs) early 19th century. This is a remarkable moment, and it needs to be met with uh, force, uh, not, not physical force, but with, with political force from 
Congress and from the Supreme Court. Well, I think you'll get almost immediately a challenge, an injunction. It might get fast-tracked to SCOTUS. I would not be surprised, actually, if the Supreme Court justices were furious and took the case as soon as they could to slap this down with extreme prejudice, which they should. The one thing that worries me, Charles, because you mentioned the DACA power grab from President Obama. He had said, and if I'm remembering correctly, there were dozens of examples where he was publicly being pressed by activists to go it alone and engage in executive action on DACA, the Dreamers. And he said over and over again, as a law professor or a law lecturer, I don't have the authority. I'm you know, not a wizard. I'm not a dictator. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And then, of course, he did it. Then he went further with DAPA and expanded the illegal power grab to an even larger group of people. That got thrown out by the courts, but DACA did not. Right? It seemed flagrantly unconstitutional. And then once you had people in limbo, the Supreme Court decided sort of to take their hands off and punt on the issue. I think the justices would respond very harshly to what Biden has just done, but I'm a little bit cynical based on the DACA experience. And by the way, I say that as someone who supports a DREAM Act. It's not the substance necessarily. It's the process and the Constitution, which have to matter more than anything else. So I think there are a couple of things there. And of course, I share your general pessimism. I'm a conservative. But I I think, firstly, (laughs) there was a difference between what Obama did and what Biden's done. And this is in no way to downplay what Obama did, which I thought was absolutely disgraceful and I thought was impeachable. The difference was that Obama changed his own mind. Obama changed his view, as you say, as a law professor. But the issue at the point at which he promulgated DACA had never been litigated. Biden is talking here about a case that has already been heard by the Supreme Court. Just he recently. referred to the Supreme Court case from June in his press conference and in earlier remarks. There is a very, very big difference in American law between a, a member within one of the three branches saying, I think this is constitutional or unconstitutional, and a member within the two non-judicial branches saying, I know what the Supreme Court has said, but I don't care. One is a constitutional crisis. Um, the other is bad constitutional hygiene. Okay, I think that's, that's I think that's a very fair oh. point to make, and I would just add, Charles, I am intrigued by your use of the phrase constitutional crisis because, look, I think this is probably going to get worked out. I think there'll be a very prompt challenge, as I said. I think it's going to get struck down by lower courts, and if it goes back to the Supreme Court, I think it will perhaps be 6-3 or, or even more lopsided, and it will resolve itself. And part of me actually thinks cynically Biden has no intention of this actually working. He just wants the problem off of his political plate so he can pat on the head the AOCs of the world and say, well, look, I tried. I tried to violate the Constitution. It didn't work. You can blame the right-wing court. And by the way, we've got a commission looking at reforming the courts. So, you know, better luck next time. That's sort of how I feel like this is going to play out, but I still find it dangerous, and I feel like if it were President Trump doing precisely this, and you alluded to this earlier, I think the two-word phrase that you just uttered, constitutional crisis, would be 
being shouted right now from the rooftops. It would be a massive, massive topic of the national conversation as opposed to this sort of boutique issue that some conservatives are paying attention to. Yeah. uh, So firstly, it would, of course, be used everywhere. And and I also use it because Biden hasn't been president that long. If he's prepared to do this now while he controls Congress seven, eight months into his term, uh, what's he going to do if he loses the midterms? But the, the, the broader reason that I use it is because although this will likely be resolved, as you say, probably, hopefully by the Supreme Court, it is a crisis when you have Chuck Schumer, who is in charge of the Senate, celebrating that the executive branch has usurped the role of his branch, the legislature. When you have Nancy Pelosi, who's in charge of the House, celebrating that the executive branch has usurped her role. Yeah, Chuck Schumer was hugging people. Right. And when you have Cory Bush, who's a member of the House, who is calling upon the executive branch to violate the law that that House has voted on. That's a crisis. There's also a a, a longer-term problem here, and that is that Biden made this clear, which is one reason I hope there'll be a preliminary injunction. But Biden made clear that he just wants the time. He wants to buy the time. And he wants to do that so there are new facts on the ground. And Democrats have got very good at this in recent years, where even if ultimately they lose in court, they like to issue rules that create something that is almost impossible to make go away. So if you look at, say, DACA, those people have now been in America another eight years. That changes the calculus. Now, as it happens, I'm with you, Guy. I'm in favor of a DREAM Act. But I don't want a system in which the executive branch selectively enforces the law to change the law and change the political debate over time. And just to give an example of this, suppose that Ron DeSantis won the presidency in 2024. He comes in, and for a year, he simply refuses to enforce the law regulating machine guns. Meanwhile, you know, 10 million Americans go out and buy machine guns. And then eventually the court says, President DeSantis, you can't do that. We're making you enforce the law. It's a writ of mandamus. Okay, but now you've got 10 million new machine gun owners in the country. Now, if you like the law regulating machine guns, that's a big, big problem for you. And it's not a huge um, recompense that the court eventually stepped in. What, what DeSantis would have done, of course he wouldn't do this, but what he would have done there is change the political dynamic cynically. And I see, I see Democrats do this over and over again. And even if it gets worked out eventually, it, it's a real violation because it makes people who go out and vote for a Congress who, who want to control the law through the legislature wonder why they bothered. Yeah, you know, it's dangerous. And under your hypothetical example about DeSantis, he would also had to have deliberately and openly and explicitly said that he was ignoring a brand new Supreme Court ruling on precisely the issue and saying, I'm going to do it anyway to buy some time for these machine gun owners. And I think we all know exactly how the media would react. We know exactly how the left would react. I think some of us on the right would also be horrified and would say so. And the conversation and the tone would be very different than what it is right now. Just a quick word, Charles, on the actual underlying policy itself. I also believe that a moratorium on evictions in this blanket way, I mean, there are horror stories that you're hearing about small-time landlords 
just getting completely crushed by this with people feeling like it's now their God-given right to live in a home or an apartment that they don't own where they're not paying rent and stay indefinitely. I mean, it's horrible policy. The moral hazard is extraordinary. Maybe just a quick word from you on that. Yeah, I mean, unlike with DACA, I'm also opposed to this policy. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not just that the CDC lacks the authority or the federal government, in my view, lacks the authority. It's that this is not best done nationally. You know, what you really want with this is for it to be tailored to local communities if it's going to be done at all um, and, and for states to learn from one another. Instead, you have this this blanket policy that actually has, has contradicted and undermined other steps that the federal government has taken. I mean, there's $46 billion appropriated to help people with rent, but most of it hasn't been applied for. But why hasn't it been applied for? Well, because if you're not being asked to pay rent, why would you bother applying for it? So who loses in that scenario? The landlord, because the landlord doesn't have a program. So in a sense, by by pushing this eviction moratorium, the federal government has taken its legs out from under itself. Instead of having, a, a, whatever you think of it, a, a fairly orderly system in which people who can't pay their rent are taking money out of the treasury and handing it to landlords who can then pay their mortgage and keeping the flow running, you've got a system in which the landlords can't take any money at all. Well, yeah, and at some point, like the, the, who aren't the emergency has largely passed in terms of employment and the economy. It can't go on forever and ever. That's you've true, got true. These, these people who are now these landlords who have been really in deep trouble and being affected by this for well over a year. And now you're telling them not only can you not evict people who aren't paying their rent, if you do so, based on the word of Rochelle Walensky at the CDC, you can go to jail, not the person who's the deadbeat living in the apartment that you own as a rental property. I mean, it's completely an insane blanket policy, even when you put it in the best possible light. And I try to be as kind and understanding and compassionate as possible, but there are also limits to what actually constitutes practicality, compassion, fairness, and I think we have violations of all of those things in this current status quo, setting aside the constitutional disaster that you just outlined. Charles, I would love to get to Florida and those related issues, but that's not going away as a topic, I suspect. We'll have to have you back. Appreciate your clarity of thought on this and your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Charles Cook of National Review on The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. We're back here on The Guy Benson Show. I feel like part of what the Biden administration ought to be, based on the way that Joe Biden ran for president, is it ought to include him standing up to the hardcore left in his party and just saying no, being the adult and saying, sorry, squad, sorry, progressives. The answer is no, as opposed to this nonsense, this dangerous decision that he made yesterday, 
saying out loud it's not constitutional, but I'm going to do it anyway to buy some time to basically placate the squad. That is not leadership. That is cowardice. And it flies in the face of the way that he presented himself to voters. But they were all hugging each other and celebrating. Look what we've accomplished. I think it's going to be very fleeting. It should be gone very quickly. But... You know, they were out there overnight, Cory Bush and AOC agitating, and this is sort of what gets their juices flowing. Then they had a big group photo to celebrate, and AOC put a mask on for the photo outside, and then the video shows off comes the mask right after the camera goes away. So some COVID theater thrown right into the rest of the mess. So congratulations on that, I guess. By the way, her squad colleague Rashida Tlaib made another anti-Semitic comment talking about the people standing in the way of a free Palestine are the people who are hurting humanity and hoarding the wealth and exploiting regular Americans. We know who she's talking about because she's an anti-Semitic bigot. So another banner week for the squad who continue to call some of the shots in Congress and even apparently in the White House. Final hour of the Guy Benson show coming right up. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Time for the happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show. On this hump day from Austin, Texas, glad to have you here with me. GuyBensonShow.com, that is our website, where the podcast is available for your download, subscription, perusal on a daily basis, no charge. On demand, GuyBensonShow.com. Other options like FoxNewsPodcasts.com. And other platforms where you get your free podcasts, those are available as well. We just recommend GuyBensonShow.com, all the ways to listen to the show. And the happy hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is cold and crisp and delicious. Citrus soda with a premium liquor kick. It is exploding in popularity across the country, including right here in the Lone Star State. TheLongDrink.com, their website, 21 plus only. Always drink responsibly. It is thelongdrink.com. You can see where it's sold near you or order online. As we begin this final hour, I thought I would share the latest installment of a little segment we like to call Woke Tales. Woke Tales. Woo! And this is a follow-up on one of our themes when it comes to wokeness and the excesses of wokeness. And I think it's one of the scarier components of it. Because it has to do with our actual physical health and our healthcare system. Where you have science, medical science, the teaching of medicine, being impacted by political activism and identity politics as opposed to just straight up science, factual information, biology. And I come at this from the perspective of an LGBT community member. I think that we should affirm people. I think that we should be kind to people. I think we should be empathetic with others. We should treat others with dignity and respect, do unto others, right? That's the golden rule. I think all of that applies. 
I do not think that being kind and caring to other people and treating people with dignity requires us as a society to reorder everything to fit the whims and demands of a tiny fringe. We do not need to reconstruct the English language and redefine words. We do not need to throw out established science because it rankles a few people's sensibilities. So one example of this that I just saw within the last week, the American Medical Association, right? This isn't some fringe, tiny group off somewhere, right? Some trans activist organization at, you know, Barnard or something. This is the American Medical Association urging our society to remove biological sex from birth certificates, right? The public forms of birth certificates, they're saying take biological sex off of it because it can be damaging in the future to trans people to have this record. And there's this whole explanation. It is not about medicine. We know that for 99.9999999% of all human beings in the history of humans, they are male or female, biologically at birth. Now, if people as adults decide that their gender identity is different, and they go through this process, and they have therapy, and they make choices in their lives, and they want to identify as a different gender... I think it can be confusing for some people. I think you got to cut slack in terms of pronouns that are used. I don't think we should be overtly nasty or hostile or rude to anyone. It's like, let's just sort of understand there are rare exceptions to the binary male-female dichotomy, at least how people view themselves, and let's just try to have a pluralistic society where we coexist and are nice to each other. I think that would be a healthy way to approach this, as opposed to saying, let's just kind of pretend that male and female, it's all just sort of a social construct. It's all fluid. Birth, sex, as a biological fact, doesn't really matter. Again, social construct. But identity is also determinative. Sex is determinative. Men are this. Women are that. The rules are very contradictory sometimes. And they change. They change endlessly. We do not need to overhaul birth certificates because of the trans movement. And it does not take away the dignity of anyone to just have infants accurately described on their birth certificate based on factual information. So that's one example. Another one comes from someone that we quote a lot, Barry Weiss, on her substack. She has another piece written by Katie Herzog, who's a journalist. We've read from these two before on this exact same topic. Headline, medical schools are now denying biological sex. Professors are apologizing for saying male and female. Students are policing teachers. This is what it looks like when activism takes over medicine. And it is a scary, scary prospect. If we're going to have medical schools packed with left-wing woke activists as opposed to people seeking medical truth. Because their whole job 
is to keep us healthy and safe, not to be involved in these activist campaigns where definitions are turned on their head. And you actually have, and they go through the story, teachers being reprimanded and targeted by woke students for transgressions such as using words like male and female. Another example that is cited in the piece, someone referred to, a medical professor, referred to pregnant women in a lecture and then had to stop and apologize. He did not want to offend anyone because people were upset. He said, oh, I guess the implication is that only women can be pregnant. And by saying pregnant women, I mean, here's the thing. There is absolutely, positively nothing offensive about saying pregnant women. Now, there are some people who identify as men who get pregnant. In fact, there's an example in this story about a trans man who came to the hospital reporting great pain. The hospital did not realize, the staff did not realize that this was a trans individual, and therefore it did not occur to them that what was going on was this person was pregnant. Right, that wasn't on their radar screen because this was a man. Right, this is the way that the person was presenting themselves. Turned out that this person was pregnant and lost the baby because the doctors didn't have the information. So this can have life and death, serious medical consequences. That was just one example that was given in the piece. I would estimate 99.99999 something percent of everyone who's ever been pregnant in the history of humanity are women. Cisgendered women. There are some people who identify as men who have the biological uterus and ovaries and everything where they can get pregnant. We do not need to change our entire lexicon from pregnant women to pregnant people to birthing people as some people demand, based on the tiniest fraction of anomalous people, which is not to attack them in any way, shape, or form. But it is not offensive all of a sudden to say pregnant women or breastfeeding. That was another one that people were getting in trouble for. Anyone who has written pieces or even cited positive thoughts about certain books or tracts or literature that question the orthodoxy, the woke orthodoxy of the moment on these issues, they end up with career-threatening or career-ending, certainly career-impacting scandals generated and ginned up by an activist class, some of whom have now infiltrated medical schools, are demanding and are demanding that everything be tailored to this new vocabulary, and that basic facts, biological facts, and common understanding of words and the definitions thereof be thrown out and replaced with something radical and new and extremely confusing. And something that I said last time we were addressing the wokeification of medicine, it's not just a cultural annoyance or something that's strange, or people engaged in cancel culture on the internet over tweets, or some strange excesses and peccadilloes of 19-year-olds who are undergrads. This is the future 
of medicine in this country. It is as serious as it gets. And if an institution like medicine gets swept away in this craziness, we are in serious trouble. And part of me sort of wonders, can we create medical schools that are just for the wokes? If you want to go about your training that way, where pregnant women is a problem, male and female is a problem, breastfeeding is a problem, you're going to report your professor, you're going to demand this, you're going to be mad about this, you can go to one of these medical schools. If you want to be just a regular doctor, you can go to some other medical schools. And then we as consumers, we as patients, the rest of us, can decide if I want someone who is going to be extremely well-versed in wokeism and all the changing, evolving rules of wokeism, you can go and seek out that doctor. And if you want a doctor who's interested in just biological fact and clear communication and medical literature as opposed to political activism, we can seek out those doctors. Or maybe you can get a degree where you have your MD, right? You get your medical doctor degree. So MD is next to your name. And then you can put in parentheses your pronouns and maybe a W that you can earn for wokeness. Almost like a minor, right? I majored medicine, minored in wokeness. And you can get that right there on your title, on your business card or on your degree as a warning, Right? It might be an advertisement. Some people might want that. Others of us might want nothing to do with that. Because, quite frankly, if my life and my well-being or the life and well-being of my loved ones are going to be entrusted to a doctor, which at some point will be the case, I would like to know if that person spent their training, their medical training, berating professors for using quote-unquote offensive terms like male, female, or pregnant women. Because if that's the case, I would much prefer someone else. I do not want to take medical advice from that person. I don't think that's a particularly crazy or discriminatory thing on my part. If that's your bag, if you're into all of that stuff, by all means, seek out a doctor of wokeness. I want a doctor of medicine who understands the importance and plain meaning of clear communication and biological facts. And I say all of that as someone, again, who urges compassion and kindness and implementation and the embrace of the golden rule for everyone in our society. When it comes to matters of life and death... I want wokeness as far away from the equation as humanly possible, which is why stories like this and reports like this are concerning. And it's not just a few laughs at these woke weirdos. It's not funny at all. It's worrisome. All right, let's wrap it up. It's been Woke Tales. Woke Tales. And the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour continues right after this short break. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. 
From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's the happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Just a few days left in the Tokyo Games, the Summer Olympics of 2020 that were pushed into 21 because of covid And there have been some controversies involving certain members of Team USA. Of course, there was the woman who, during preliminary qualifiers, turned away from the flag and the anthem, made a huge deal out of that. We never mentioned her name on this program because it was so petulant and rude and attention-hogging. And wouldn't you know it, she did not medal in these Olympic Games. That's a shame. Women's soccer team focused very much on preening and kneeling as opposed to playing soccer. They did not win the gold medal, having lost a couple games, including to Sweden and Canada. So Megan Rapinoe's got her TV commercials for Subway sandwiches, but the rest of the team uh, lacking gold medals. I wonder how some of them feel about that. I just wish everyone would focus on the competition. And even if you have critiques of our country, whether they are fair or overblown, Sport can be unifying, or in some cases, it can be divisive. And we've seen how the division has gone for some of these people. Now, there are other American athletes who make it extremely easy to root hard for them, and happily. And some of them have been succeeding wildly. There was Tamira Mensa Stock, who became the first black female to win in women's wrestling, win a gold from Team USA, and after she won, she gave an interview that went viral. If you haven't seen it already, just listen to the joy and the gratitude and the patriotism from Tamira after winning gold, cut 22. God, I'm able to even move my feet. Like, I just leave it in his hands, and I pray that all the practice, that the hell that my freaking coaches put me through pays off, and every single time it does, and I get better and better, and it's so weird that there is no cap to the limit that I can do, and I'm, I'm excited to see what what I have next. Last question for you. That American flag around your shoulders looks pretty good. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it. And I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. <laughs> love it. Just infectious. Congratulations on the gold to Myra. That smile, that enthusiasm. Then you had the first and second place finishers on a prestigious track and field event, Sydney McLaughlin from New Jersey and Delilah Muhammad. They got the gold and the silver. I watched their medal ceremony last night after they won. Let's listen to these two ladies. Cut 23. Just trusting the process, giving the glory to God. Uh, it's all this season, hard work, dedication, and just really grateful to be able to represent my country in this happy opportunity. And Delilah, for you, you overcame covid so many injuries to get back to this Olympic final. Just describe this uh, this journey back to this moment for yourself. Uh, it definitely was a journey just full of so many ups and downs. So it's just thankful to God for getting me to this point. 51.5. I'm not sure. 51.5 was yeah. the time. Um, <laughs> just so thankful, so thankful to end on with a silver medal for the USA. Gold and silver, those two ladies. Congratulations. You love to see it. There are some negative folks out there who want to focus selfishly on certain things. But in the spirit of international sport and patriotism and achievement, I wanted to highlight those examples. USA all the way. And by the way, we're leading in the medal count as well. I saw some Chinese communists were mad about that. 
hey, the math is the math. The medals are the medals. Sorry if that's triggering, so to speak, CCP. The happy hour on The Guy Benson Show continues after this. The Guy Benson Show. Back here on The Guy Benson Show. It's the happy hour. Earlier in the program, in our first hour, we caught up with Joe Concha, media critic, columnist, Fox News contributor. He had a lot to say, especially about media coverage of the Cuomo affair. Here's part of that conversation with Joe. In the meantime, the big news here yesterday, Cuomo Central, really horrible day for him. Uh, Joe Biden finally got off the sidelines calling on him to resign. So is everyone. I saw a report just a moment ago from the Associated Press. They've sort of called around and done a whip count. And now it looks like a majority of the New York House is in favor of impeachment for Governor Cuomo. So, you know, we'll see where this thing's going. Um, what is your overall take on the coverage of what happened yesterday? I know the New York Times featured it very prominently today. I think that the media has actually been pretty tough on Cuomo for this, and it almost feels like a, a make a make good or like a do-over from all of their adulation and worship, including, I think, not really treating nearly seriously enough the nursing home scandal and all all of that side of it because they can't quite bring themselves to admit how disastrously wrong they were on Cuomo when it comes to COVID and related issues, but they recognize that he's a sleaze at this point. And this being a serious story seems like what they've all decided collectively, okay, this is the thing where we can get him. In terms of the coverage, to answer your first question, it's kind of like the old John McClane, Bruce Willis line from Die Hard, right? Welcome to the party, pal. I mean, this is, you're right. It's, it's like a make good almost. Like, okay, we'll be tough now because Cuomo is now expendable. In 2020, when he was the anti-Trump in terms of COVID, well, then he was their MVP, most valuable player. He wins an Emmy. He gets $5 million for a book advance and then releases the book in the middle of a pandemic, which was, you know, absolutely a great look. Uh, I, I look at the Chris Cuomo situation within this as far as we're talking about media coverage. And the fact that this guy went on his 9 p.m. show, it's the highest rated show on CNN, which is kind of like being, you know, the, the skinniest kid at fat camp. But still, it's their highest rated show. And he could go for 60 minutes and not talk about what was easily the most dominant news story of the day, possibly of the week and the month, and get away with it. Executives actually allow him to do this. And I just can't believe he still has a job, guy, because I look well, at he, it in aggregate. He, opened, yeah, he opened his show last night. The number one story in the country is his brother and a damning report about sexual harassment. And we that know from, from the report that Chris <laughs> Cuomo had helped with the PR and the damage control and was, like, drafting statements and all this stuff. And primetime CNN last night, a full hour with Chris Cuomo, not a mention. Instead, he opened guns blazing at Ron DeSantis. Which he has many times in the past, right? Like, see, my, my brother, he's the good governor. That's the bad governor over there. And he said, we're going to concentrate on COVID. Yeah, let's talk about COVID and Chris Cuomo, shall we? This is a guy who got testing before anybody else could in New York, courtesy of his brother. He then fakes his own quarantine. Who does that? And actually, a police report is filed against him by some 60-something-year-old biker who saw him out 30 minutes away from his home and said, hey, you were just on TV last night saying you still felt sick. What are you doing out? And he gets into a verbal confrontation with him, and a police report is filed against him. So that happens. 
And then he lied about it. Then he comes out of his basement saying, oh, I've been dreaming of this moment for weeks. No, you haven't. You've done it already. What are you talking about? Then no one really talks about this. There's audio of him, and I think it was Tucker Carlson who actually obtained this, of him coaching Michael Cohen, the president's former fixer, president as in Trump, and saying, okay, here's the question you're going to get, but here's how you should answer. Any network executive from 10 or 20 years ago, worth their grain of salt, or whatever the stupid saying is, would have fired him on the spot for any of those things. And then he's drafting statements on how to push back against sexual harassment. This pious guy who always told us to believe all women and went after Brett Kavanaugh probably more than anybody in media, and now he's doing this on behalf of his brother. How does he have a job, guy? I don't. I get it, I guess, but I don't get it still. My full interview with Joe Concha, available on demand at GuyBensonShow.com. Also on the free podcast, the entire show is there for free every day. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or wherever you get your free podcasts. When we come back, a milestone achievement for one of my friends. She was living off of her farm for a year. She called it the homegrown year. It was a huge challenge. She's done it. Her triumphant victory lap, plus some questions from yours truly when we come back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show on this Wednesday. I'll be off tomorrow and Friday. Has nothing to do with the COVID positive test. This was scheduled for a long time. So we'll have guest hosts in here. Fabulous programming back here in person. Back home on Monday. Looking forward to that. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast free every single day. And joining me now for the home stretch is my friend Kelly Maher. We've had her on occasionally, sort of every so often over the course of the last year, talking about her challenge that she set for herself. It was inspired during my wedding weekend back in 2019. She then dove into this thing. The homegrown year is what she called it, and she chronicled much of it at realbestlife.com. We caught up with her just a few weeks ago as she was getting near the end, you might even call it the home stretch, of this homegrown year. And now it's complete. She did it. Kelly Maher joins me now. Kelly, congratulations. Thank you, Guy. I appreciate it. I'm so excited for you. So for those who might be tuning in, have not heard from you before, have no idea what I'm talking about with this homegrown year and realbestlife.com, just give them the very short elevator pitch. What did you just accomplish? I just lived off of the small urban farm that my husband, my kids, and I live on just north of Denver, Colorado, for an entire year. Meaning you Meaning I ate? ate entirely things that we produced. We did allow uh, hunting and fishing off of the property, but I make cheeses from the goat's milk that I get when I milk our goats twice a day. I have chickens. I have ducks. I have a large garden. And this entire challenge was conceived at your wedding. Which is amazing. You were able to do some bartering, but there were very strict rules for that as well. And I have to say, the rules that were laid out and enforced with an iron fist by the commissioner of this whole situation, our friend Emily, they were pretty stringent. I absolutely would never have been able to do this, but you did it. You feel incredibly good. I know that your health, you feel like it's almost never been better. You lost 
a significant amount of weight, but in a very healthy way. Your doctors are happy. I mean, what a transformational year it has been. It was such a it's such a weird type of thing to sign up for and to conceive of. But, you know, like so many things that are really hard to do, it ended up being really, really deeply gratifying. I lost uh, 82 pounds over the course of the year. Uh, living, yeah, um, I mean, almost entirely, uh, zucchini grows really well here in Denver. So um, some friends called it the zucchini cleanse, but a lot of goat <laughs> cheese, eggs from our farm, zucchini, tomatoes, really fresh, um, and managed to barter for some things that we can't produce. But, I mean, largely I went pretty clean living, and it kind of it changed my life, not just physically, but also emotionally. I have a new appreciation for how people lived for most of human history, and also uh, it gives new value to food, which is something that we all consume every day, but I, I for most of my life, had, had done it really kind of mindlessly, and it was really great to do it with intention. What was the single hardest moment, the single hardest experience over this year living off of your farm? I mean, there were some really heartbreaking moments where I thought that, like, this is over, there's no way I can do it. At one point, um, one of my sons, I'm not sure which one, snuck into the garage and turned off my deep freeze. And oh, so I, I had a moment where I walked into the garage and uh, just, like, leaked whatever was in the freezer all over the floor. And I felt my heart sink because I just thought like, there's no way if all of this food is ruined, I'll be able to survive, you know? And how did you overcome that? Well, uh, cooked a lot of it that night. Um, (laughs) then freeze dried it, uh, really, you know, you have to pivot, but I have the luxury of if, if I fail, knowing that I won't actually die, I will just fail. And you realize that so many people in the world and throughout history, something like that would happen and it would really be a truly devastating or right. life-threatening type of thing. And you just don't have that perspective until you do something crazy like this. So this clock expired when exactly? I remember you were tweeting about it a few days ago. When did you achieve the full year? So I did I did August 1st, 2020 until July 31st at 12.05 p.m., which is when I ate an entire plate of tater tots and drank some champagne. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you, what was your first? Your first meal was tater tots? I mean, it was midnight. What do you eat at midnight besides champagne and tater tots? I can't. Okay, so twelve oh five a.m. So it was like literally oh, just yeah, after yeah, midnight. I would have had, I don't know, I would have had a full year to think about it, and I would have really planned something pretty elaborate for that first midnight meal. Although, did you have the official big celebration, go crazy meal subsequently? We did. We did. We we woke up and went first thing was first got a huge frozen latte full of sugar. Um, I think that it almost killed me. And then uh, went to my husband's favorite Thai restaurant and just ordered 
basically one of everything on the menu because, um, you know, like ethnic foods aren't really something that I could do. Right, you couldn't really do that. Yeah. Right, which makes sense. So you Mm -hmm. are now thinking about trying to write a book about this experience, and I know you're just starting to kind of wrap your head around that process. And I saw someone give you some really strong advice on Twitter when you were tweeting about this, the intimidation factor of trying to write. And I forget who it was, but it seemed like really strong advice, basically saying, you've done the hardest part. You've done the thing for a year. Now you can just do little, no pun intended, bite-sized pieces of writing over the course of the next year. That should be, that should be simple by comparison. It was it was uh, Tim Carney is the one who gave me that advice, and it was such good advice. And I mean, I admire him so much. And you know, I was thinking about it, and I am so fortunate to have really, really good friends who uh, have written books. Uh, Everybody should go out and buy Mary Catherine and Guy's book, by the way. Discussion, Uh, yes, yes, but. You know, the thing is about having friends who do something so amazing, like write a book, is that then you can become the kind of person who thinks to themselves, like, well, I can write a book. Um, and and I, I really want to. I am very intimidated by the idea. But also, I have so many crazy stories, guys. I mean, I had pigs that started um, attacking and eating my chickens. I had my children who turned off the the freezer. I had um, a dog who managed to eat like four of my turkeys. I mean, there are so many, and and not just the challenges, but there were so many beautiful moments. I I was so overwhelmed. I just wrote um, the first part of a piece about this. I was so overwhelmed by the support of people and of the community that came to me and, and held me up through this really, really weird challenge. And it wasn't people mocking me being like, who, who are you to think that you can do this thing? You know, people like you and other friends who've had me on their shows, people I don't even know, sending me food in barter across the country. Including members and of really, this audience, the crucial coffee barter. The guidance and audience. Uh, and, and it, like, like the challenge was conceived as a kind of, you know, self-reliant challenge, but it really was humbling to realize how many people came to the table and stepped up for me on something so bizarre. I mean, it, there was just, there was so much beauty and I look at things so differently now that uh, I, I learned a lot of lessons that I would like to hopefully do justice to and share with others. Yeah, no, I think it would be an amazing story to tell, not just on a piecemeal basis, on a few shows here and there and on your blog that you've written, realbestlife.com, but I feel like this is extremely well-suited for a book or maybe even, frankly, something like a reality show, whether it's you or someone else. I think it's just amazing that you pulled this off. I had my doubts, honestly. I think, you've I think the it. reality show is me trying to make you do it. I think that's the reality show. Oh, yeah. That is a 0% chance. Zero. Like, this, you know the, 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 the homegrown... Not... Oh, 
Sorry, go ahead. You have a farm. You have a farm. I live in a city. I'm extremely proud when I eat some of the tomatoes and basil that we grow in an earth box on the back patio. That is my homegrown year. I've done it. It's basically equivalent to what you you achieved. When you and I met, I lived in a uh, condo in the middle of a high-rise in the middle of the city. Like, you never know what you're capable of until you try it. Yeah, I also don't want to do this at all. So there's (laughs) also that. There's that. Uh, There's the key key point. Uh, Last question briefly before we have to go. You made all this progress. You ate so naturally. You lost 82 pounds. Now you've got sort of the buffet of modern food options before you again. The buffet is open again after your homegrown Mm -hmm. year. How are you going to try to balance going back to stuff that you love to eat and having all that freedom while also maybe retaining some of what you've done over the last year to maintain some of the healthy gains that you've achieved? You know, it's a really good question. And and honestly, I have had a few days off and I don't think I want to go back. You know, people say like, oh, it's got to be so great to get out. And I, I was, as I neared the end of the year, I will be the first to admit, I kind of got scared. I had come to rely on the constraints of the homegrown year as, like, the thing that I did. That's the thing. People get used to patterns. They get used to habits, right, and routines. And we've all been through a very strange year and a half without doing anything crazy like you just did. You had all of that going on at the same time. I think the story is just amazing. If you want to read more about it, see a lot of the photos of the food that she was creating, realbestlife.com. Also, Kelly, very kindly, when I tested positive for COVID, did not realize I was in Texas, so she sent soup to my house, so my husband got to eat that. Uh, So he thanks you, and I thank you for the thought. Kelly Maher, my dear friend, after her homegrown year has been completed, very, very proud. I'm sort of in awe of what you've done. Can't wait to see you, and I'll be honest, eat a nice restaurant meal with you very soon. Cannot wait. And with that, we are out of here. Tomorrow and Friday, guest hosts here on The Guy Benson Show. Nothing to do with my health situation at all. I'm fine. This was long scheduled. I'll be back on Monday. Great brand new Guy Benson shows, though. The next two days. Have a fantastic evening. Talk to you soon. Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at Show.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.